you grab your Bibles with me this morning, we're excited to turn to a new letter, the letter of 3 John. So we continue in our sermon series through the letters of John, sermon number 47. Uh, what a joy it's been to take our time and to preach faithfully and slowly to really um, savor God's Word in its fullness. Um, you'll find the letter of 3 John, the very back of your Bible, just before Jude and Revelation. I encourage you to bring your Bibles, become familiar with Holy Scriptures. We spend time in these ways. Um, today, as we turn to the opening words of this third letter, we're going to be focused on verses 1 through 4. Look at our text together with me. 3 John 1 through 4, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The third letter opens in a similar fashion to the second. John, our author, referring to himself as the elder. This is a reference to the office that he holds in the local church. He is a pastor. He is an elder. He's an overseer. Paul and Peter speak to the office of elder in their writings in such a way that we better understand the importance of, of this role among God's people, among us, the church. A few quick reminders uh, that are found in places like Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 12. Paul says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God's design for the local church is for shepherds to equip the saints, the members of the church who are saved and belong to Jesus, to do the work of the ministry that the Lord calls his saved ones to until he takes us home, that we build up the body of Christ. The word for shepherd here is poimenos. It's where we get our word pastor. Pastor means to shepherd. An elder is a pastor. Our conviction here at Disciples Church is that the title pastor is to only be given to qualified men who are elders and not to under-shepherds or any other ministry leaders in the church. The Holy Scriptures are clear that this title belongs to the elders, to the pastors. Um, title pastors often given in modern church context and even different ministries to a plethora of different people, I think with good intentions, but again, it was our conviction just to be more and more biblical in our use of these things as God gives it to us. So we were able to reform that practice ourselves uh, 10, 15 years ago. This also means that your elders' church can be referred to as pastor. Uh, both are appropriate titles that describe the same office. What does a pastor do? Well, Scripture is clear to tell us that he feeds the flock, he leads the flock, he protects the flock, and cares for the flock. And this is a perfect role for God to assign to mature and qualified men who he, the Lord, has prepared 
to lead his flock in the local church. We see the verb form of shepherding in two critical scriptures, Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5. Briefly look with me, Acts 20, verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So here we have the act of shepherding the church for the Holy Spirit readied and appointed overseers. There is another title given to the same office. The word overseer in the Greek is episkopoi, which means supervisor, manager, or guardian. Other translations uh, use the word bishop. Uh, this is another title, overseer, bishop, uh, to describe the same office as pastor, elder. A bishop or an overseer is simply a less used term in our modern church context, but still a good title of reference for an elder as it is still biblically fitting. Another passage we see to God's call on shepherds is the famous words of Peter in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's a call to shepherd and to oversee the flock that is among us. This means a shepherd's authority or responsibilities for the local church. This means that according to Scripture alone, there are not extra assigned authorities for the people of God that are above or beyond the elders of the local flock, uh, like we see modeled in the Roman Catholic Church or even in Presbyterian churches, the Presbyterian, maybe other denominations where there's a hierarchy of leadership that makes decisions for a local body. We believe a faithful reading of Holy Scripture is that underneath the chief shepherd are the local church elders, and that is all that is biblically required. So, Disciples Church elders are therefore responsible for you all. What this also means that we are to pastor or shepherd the flock that is among us, that means we're also not responsible for the brothers and sisters in Christ that are Valley Baptist Church or Sovereign Grace Church. Faithful brothers and sisters who love the Lord, they have their own local church shepherds. I won't stand before the Lord and give an account for their souls as they've not been charged to me. You have been. Speaking of the pastors at Valley Baptist Church, Roger Spradlin is the founding and long-standing co-lead pastor at Valley Baptist. He and Pastor Phil are both in their last years of shepherding at, at VBC and Roger's son, Andrew, uh, has been chosen as the pastoral successor to be the preaching pastor moving forward. They're in the process of that very transition. And in this very um, recent season, um, the hard news that Pastor Roger has um, now has cancer, inoperable cancer, and is struggling in a lot of pain. Um, and they are very limited in what they can do. They're doing their best to take some efforts for some steps, 
Um, all too familiar words to myself and the journey I just went through with my own father. Um, hard news to hear about a faithful brother that's long um, um, served the kingdom locally. Um, and I just ask that, you know, as I've been act, uh, interacting with Roger and with, with Andrew, um, they're thankful for us, for our support, for our care for them. And just even yesterday, assuring them that we would be praying for them as a church. So I, I want to really commend you, church family, to join me and the elders in really lifting up the Spradlin family in their entirety and, uh, you know, this season that they're in. That pray confidently with us that, and ask the Lord for healing, uh, for comfort, for peace. Uh, but more than that, that the Lord would do His mighty work and will through the Spradlin family in this hard time. And I'm thankful in advance that you will be faithful to join me in praying for them, as we should among um, fellow brothers and sisters in our local community. Um, God, do your work in them. Look at me at 1 Peter 5.1 when he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ. Here we see the third term Scripture uses for this office. Presbyteroi, the word for elder in the Greek is presbyteroi, is presbyters. It has a word that has Jewish roots and describes a fatherly-like leader. So it is important as we read Holy Scripture that these three titles, elder or overseer, also bishop, or pastor, also shepherd, elder, overseer, pastor, all describe the same office of those who are charged by God to lead the local church. Those whom the sheep of God, the flock of God, are charged to honor and obey and submit to and show reverence to and follow and hold accountable to our leading according to the word. This is an important role for us all, one that we are not to make light of, um, that, that none of us would become arrogant to say, you know what? I'm just going to, we're just going to do our own thing. You know, we're going to be okay without the local church and without shepherds that we truly are submitting ourselves to and accountable to. That's a a grave mistake that we see people who claim Christ do and, and often in seasons to come then see quite a bit of fallout and struggle in their lives. It is not God's design that we would act like orphans once we're adopted into his family but that we would submit ourselves well to this good design that God has given for the local church. Steve and Rob and myself are humbled um, to serve in this role in this season. And, and I want to say in this month of pastor appreciation and the notes and the cards and the ways that you all are, are extending an extra hand of gratitude and appreciation, I just want to say thank you for loving us well as you do faithfully for honoring us well. Um, You are a true joy to shepherd, to know, to love, to do this life with. Um, Christ is doing marvelous things in this historic First Baptist Church family. Um, And it is true that you are truly beloved by the chief shepherd and by your local church shepherds. This is John's affection for his flock. 
And specifically in this letter, for Gaius, as expressed here, look with me again at the first verse. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. There are actually a number of individuals named Gaius in the New Testament. Gaius of Corinth, we saw after being baptized by Paul, became a host to the whole church, 1 Corinthians 1, Romans 16. Uh, Gaius of Macedonia was linked to Paul when they suffered in the riot at Ephesus that we read about in Acts 19. Gaius of Derby, who traveled with Paul in his last journey from Greece through Macedonia. So, a popular name in that time in life uh, of people, um, as we have seasons where names are popular. You know, Jennifer always joked in the, in, in the 70s, there's a ton of Jennifers. It was just a popular name uh, of, of that generation of kids. And, you know, we see that today as names are popular. That's what we have here. What we don't have is specific clarity as to which Gaius John is writing to. So there are some guesses. There are some pretty strong historical leanings as to who this might be. But I would just say the principles of what John is emphasizing are still helpful fully to us without specific knowledge as to which guys he's writing to. Uh, we do not know exactly who he is. We do know that John loves him dearly as a brother in Christ and is rejoicing at his testimony of walking in the truth, which is our main takeaway that we should have from this opening passage and so our emphasis moving forward. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He opens the next verse, verse 2, with beloved. So he's just doubling down. I mean, he says it not just here, but again in verse 5, again in verse 11. He references him as beloved in what is a historically crazy short letter, likely written on one page. The emphasis of his love for this brother is in full view. A deep affection for a blood-bought brother in Christ. When he says, whom I love in truth, this means two important things that we need to not miss. First, it means that John's love is sincere. Paul commands authentic love as opposed to hypocritical love. In Romans 12, 9, he says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. In other words, let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love for each other be honest. Let it be true. Genuine love doesn't try to say something or do something that's not true. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's honest. But also remember that genuine love is like God, which means it honors God and doesn't compromise itself to not honor God, which is why Paul has this important clarity linked to this didactic command, let love be genuine, when he says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. 
In other words, it's not loving to not abhor what is evil. You could say it this way. It's not loving to not speak the truth. To not love in truth. But our flesh struggles with this. All of us. We are tempted at many junctions in our road, in our day, in our lifetime to say, well, maybe I I really love this person if I just kind of tweak it. If I just kind of just fob a little bit and maybe say something I don't really mean or that's not really true and just kind of make it easy. But the scriptures are clear. We are not to love that way. We are not to adjust love unto what is deceiving or false, thinking somehow it will serve that person or our relationship better. It will not. It is not loving to watch someone you love struggling and then out of fear to stay distant from them, to think in your mind, oh, he or she, they'll figure it out. I don't want to get involved. Or to think, you know, I don't want to cause conflict. The problem is, what we're honestly doing when we do that most of the time is we are really more motivated by self-love. Because what I don't want is to lose our relationship. I don't want you to be mad at me. And I like that more than I like the truth. So I'm not going to act in the truth. I'm not going to love you like I should. I'm just going to play nice and play a fleshly game with you. Because I really want us to still be friends. I want our family to get along. Selfish love is toxic. It's not love at all. It serves the flesh. It doesn't honor God. Real love is done in truth. Even when it's hard. Even when it might cost you that relationship. Church, we must abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. It's another way of saying we must speak the truth in love. This means we, the church, are not going to pretend or we're not going to watch others struggle in lies. We're going to love each other. We're going to be honest. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to sit down with Christian family and who are practicing sin, caught up in sin, and we're going to say, I love you. And I'm concerned because what I see you pursuing here is against God's word. It's not honoring what God has given us in Scripture. Church, that's what life in the body of Christ looks like. It's speaking the truth in love. Realize, when we love others in truth, we are fighting for them. We're not fighting them. Now, their flesh might feel that, but that's not what's real. right? We're fighting for them because we love them. We, if they don't cling to the truth of God, the truth of God's word, then, then they'll continue in sin. And that's not good. Maybe even go so far to resign from the family in arrogance, in pride, in being right in their own eyes. Church, we need to operate in truth and fight our flesh that wants to put on mask and just make it easy. The elder to the beloved guys who I love in truth. His love for him is genuine, it's honest, it's real. And it's not only sincere and genuine, but it's in accord with the truth which God has revealed through his son. 
See, these letters are being written in a time where there was a lot of false teaching trying to plague the people of God. A lot of people wearing masks, trying to pretend that they're good with God, but what they were saying was not true. And so they were projecting love that looked like truth, but in the end it wasn't. And so, in some ways, he, John is like clarifying, my brother in Christ, unlike these false deceivers, these antichrists, I love you in truth, the truth of God. Paul speaks to this clarity in 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. If false doctrine and sinful worldly ideologies are lies, then what is truth? It's God's word. It's sound doctrine. It's Jesus. Paul is going to say in Ephesians 4.21, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus says in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those who are in the truth means that we're faithful to live God's truth. The truth is embodied in Christ who lives in them and them in him. Paul says it well in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church exists in the world to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. We who have the truth, church, must live in it, testify to it, minister in it, or we prove to not be the church of Christ. Ephesians 4.25, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're to walk and talk in the truth for whom we belong to Christ, who is the truth. We know the truth, and the truth is our testimony. The truth is how we love one another. More about how we walk in the truth, the close of our passage, but first spend time with me in verse 2. Third John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that it all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Three important points of emphasis here. Let's take them one by one. John shares in this the specifics of his prayers for his brother. First, he prays that it would go well with him. This is a prayer for circumstantial favor from God. Something that we can ask for. We can ask for it boldly. It's not speaking of the general blessing and favor of God. Because we don't need to ask for that. Why? Because we have it already in full in Christ. Completely and abundantly, right? Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Has. It's done. You have it. If you belong to him. He's blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Are there some spiritual blessings, church, that you need to pray for? No. Why? Because you have them in Christ. You're not 
You're not trying to attain them, earn them, convince God to give you some more. You have them. Let's, let's pray properly. If anything, let's praise God. Let's be grateful for the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. First, uh, John 1.16 From his fullness we've all received, possess it now, grace upon grace. Praise the Lord. Church, we're so blessed in Christ. More blessed than we know how to fathom. You, you are swimming in dump truck loads of blessing in the Lord. We have much reason to praise him. So when John prays for Gaius that it would go well with him, he's not praying for something that he already has in Christ. He's praying for the blessing of his life circumstances to go well. This is a different topic. How our life goes, we know, according to Scripture, is ultimately up to God. But surely and often is the result of also how we choose to live our lives and the crossroads that we take, how we steward our lives. So there's a good way that we pray for each other that things would go well for us. That, that the, the things that God would ordain, the circumstances that we face, would be a blessing. This is an appropriate thing to do. Jesus himself models it for us. Matthew 6.11, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 6.13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray here. And he's modeling and saying that it's good to bring our most basic request to God in prayer. It is good that we ask. This is the practice of supplication, meaning to ask for something. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. That's a pretty all-inclusive statement. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's okay that we're asking that things would go well with each other. That we bring those requests to the Lord. If all things exist from God and happen through God and are from God, why would we not engage Him in everything? Right? I, I know at one point in my faith journey, I naively thought, you know, I'm just not going to bother God with that one. Right? I mean, that's foolish. Everything is from Him and through Him and to Him. Why would I not engage Him in everything in prayer? Why would we keep, think about keeping anything from being surrendered to his grip? For it's far better in his hands. We do this by praying. Please know, your Heavenly Father, he loves you. His, his adopted child. He loves to respond to you. He's so active in your life. Let us pray even for little things. And what's cool about praying for little things is I think it helps us improve our walk and talk with the Lord. It helps us tear down the compartments of our faith. You know, we can all kind of get into those modes where we compartmentalize. I, I walk well with the Lord here, and, or maybe over here, and, but not really here. And man, I'm really good at ignoring Him completely over here. And That we would just enjoy His holy presence all the more as we walk and talk with him in prayer. 
It is our recognition that he is present and he is able in all things. And so this is what John is doing. His prayers for his beloved brother in Christ, Gaius. He's praying that it would go well with him. He's praying for God's ability to bless his life. God's favor would abound in his life circumstantially. That he would prosper. While the prosperity gospel is a wicked perversion of the gospel. And then therefore, maybe because it's so wicked, we really like cringe at any mention of the word prosper. Right? This is contradictory to that. Why Why is it a prayer for prosperity or good health a good practice for the church family for one another? Well, I think because suffering, oppression, persecution, and simply the consequences of sin on the body, the mind, and life of a Christian are a very real and present thing in this life. The unavoidable truth, church, is we will suffer in this life. We will experience real hardship, injustice. Peter said, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter 4, 12. Because we will suffer, because life is often hard, because we are persecuted, We need to pray for each other. Not only that we would steward our hardships well, we should pray for that, but it is good and right to pray that we would have less of them and that our lives would go well. Now, as we pray this, we trust fully in God's perfect plan. That's our faith at work. We don't slip into a prosperity mindset where hey, I'm just getting really good at praying for a bunch of stuff and now really I'm becoming an idolater because I'm really wanting God to just be the vehicle to what I really want. No, we check all that. We're to ask. We're to ask boldly. We're to ask often. But we, we yield to Him. We walk by faith. We trust it to Him. We don't command Him and demand Him. We bring our request our supplication. And we do it. And we should do it more than we do. We should do it often. But we yield to His perfect plan in faith. We follow Jesus' model who did this very thing. What did Jesus do in that hour as He prayed, as He sweated blood? Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. That's a prayer for that it would go well for him. But what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I've asked you boldly, truly, not half-heartedly, but I yield to you because your plan and your perspective and your will is better than mine. I want to fulfill your will. John adds to his prayer a specific clarity of Praying for Gaius' health. Beloved, I, I pray that all may go well with you. We've just covered that. And that, you're, and that you may be in good health. In Jesus' parable that he teaches about the two lost sons, often referred to as the 
parable of the prodigal son. It's really a parable about two lost sons, a younger brother and an elder brother. It says in that story that Jesus tells to make an important point that the younger son returned to the father safe and sound. In other words, in good health. In other words, he's, he's not dead. He didn't find his son dead in all the licentious and wild living that he was caught up in. He, he wasn't sickly. He, he returned. He, he walked up to him. He was safe and sound. So the scripture has references to good stewardship of our bodies, to being of good health. Church, scripture is clear. We are to steward well our bodies. And we should pray for good health. It is our bodies that we are to present to the Lord as a living sacrifice, according to Paul in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I would just ask us this morning, is your body holy and acceptable to God? Or is that a unique area of your life that you've compartmentalized to go, you know what? Just not too interested in stewarding that thing very well. Life has a lot of struggles, and so that's just one that I don't really mess with. How are you doing, brother, sister in Christ, at managing the body that God has entrusted to you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17 Do you not know that, God, that you are God's temple and, the, and God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Christian, I ask you again, how are you stewarding the body that God gave you? Are you giving it good rest? Or, or are you justifying, no, I'm just, I'm just a night owl. That's just the way I am. Are you giving it good fuel? Healthy diet? Are you giving it good exercise? One of the all too common and modern acceptable sins of Christians is poor management of our body. Beloved, this is an important area of our lives that God commands us to be a good steward of. For many of the last five to ten years, after I hit a proverbial wall in my 30s, my metabolism packed its bag and ran away. Um... And I was now pastor, lots of study, lots of meeting, lots of good, rich food with community leaders and you all. And, and just not a good habit of exercising and not a good habit of tending to my diet. And in my own self-evaluation, I knew for quite a while that this was an area that I was neglecting, that I needed to tend to, that I needed to confess his sin and repent of. And I had my list of excuses for why I was going to get to it later. Um, and by God's grace, thankfully this last year, through some mutual accountability with others, we got to it. Um, and new disciplines and habits are underway, and it's praise God. 
Um, part of the conviction in that was realizing that in our leadership's misstewardship of some of that, there's a, a, a not paving a good pace, an example for you. As we read earlier, we're to be examples of the flock. And so this is an important area, church, that we need to do business with. We're not loving you well to throw these things out the door, to turn a blind eye. We need to do business with this. Because if we're honest, we too often fill our bodies with what is really and truly junk food. With no nutritional value. It makes us full for a minute, but it's not good for us. We love and consume sugary drinks, toxic chemicals. We often, give, we often don't give our bodies enough sleep. We don't value and prioritize good nutrition, proper exercise. We say we love our children and we want to raise them well in the truths of God, and then we completely neglect this area and how we even raise them and feed them and teach them. It is an area, church, we need to stop and do business with. That we not be guilty of praying for good health while we eat triple cheeseburgers and 42-ounce colas. I mean, that's really my point. Each of us needs to take some serious inventory to steward the life that God's given us. I was encouraged with the Bumakod's example recently. They shared testimony of just even heeding the midweek lesson of um, the stewardship of our lives. And in part of that, we really dealt with how we're stewarding our bodies. And there was real Holy Spirit conviction in them and diligence to really get to work. And we've seen the fruit of that in their lives and re- rejoicing in that. Because that's good for them. It's good for their witness. It's good for their children. Right? We're not, we're not um, having an early memorial for our brother because he had a heart attack at a young age or whatever else might be in play. We can't afford church to be flippant on this topic. We need to take it serious because it's a part of our gospel testimony. And like I said earlier, one that many in our congregation really need to slow and do serious business with. I'm thankful for a growing number of you who have taken heed as of late to do work here. Um, It's wonderful to see. And I pray that we'd be an encouragement to each other. I pray that we'd be humble enough to ask questions about how we can grow in these ways. I say this because I love you. I say this because it's real. I'll tell you, we're having this conversation and this accountability among us, even as elders. And so, we all need to heed this. I want you to know I pray often that you would be in good health. We should pray for each other as modeled here. But your stewardship of your body, of your mind, of your diet, is a big part of you being in good health. And so what, you, what are you doing to honor the Lord in this important area? And, and hear me clearly, because some maybe have struggled to hear it. Good health is not about being skinny. It's not about having big muscles. It's about health. It's about wellness. It's about nutrition, fueling our body, being a good steward of it. Not practicing the sin of gluttony. Not making an idol out of food and drink. It is wellness for our minds. Right? 
being mindful of our mental state, not adding unneeded pressures and stresses that cause fleshly anxiety and worry. We need to not find our identity or our value in our looks, Christian, but in Christ alone. That said, we are to be good, God-honoring stewards of our body and our mind. May we do this better and better as we move forward. I pray if you're not in good health, as much as it depends on you, that you would become serious about repenting of sinful mismanagement and start stewarding your mind and your body better unto what glorifies the Lord. Makes good use of the days He gives you under the sun. I say as much as it depends on you because there's also another important clarity that's connected to that. There are surely ailments Restrictions, limitations that some have as a reality due to the providence of God. Jesus was clear to speak on this in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, 1 through 3. Passed by, there was, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God purposes some of you to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your physical wellness and strength. But in others, some of you are providentially assigned by God to testify the gospel and the joy of the Lord in your physical struggle and even sickness or impairment. This is God's sovereign purpose for you. And we need to be mindful of that. That we are not critical of the sovereign decree of God or missing out on how we steward that disability or physical or mental struggle unto the glory of God. I would just say if you're quick to self-diagnose, self-justify, this is an area that might be really well served for you to slow and to say, here's how I've thought about this to a trusted brother or sister who's mature and you know will speak truth. Am I missing something here? Am I covering something up? Or do I have a right mind about where I'm at? It's a good place for accountability that we could love each other well. And that typically a topic that's a little harder to speak about, you personally could open the doors for it to be open to speak about. That would be good for you. Third John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Before we move on to verse 3 and 4, notice that John speaks not of well wishes for the state of Gaius' soul, but he speaks with insight and assurity that it is going well with his soul. Do you notice that? How can John be so certain or speak with such insight on a matter so personal and intimate as the status of one's soul? The answer is because of what Scripture says that we have as Christians in Christ. True inner peace. True shalom. Before someone is saved, they don't have peace. Not for their soul. They don't know true shalom because they don't know Christ. Their sin only produces unrest in their soul. David spoke to this reality well in Psalm 38, 18. I'm full of anxiety 
because of my sin. Praise God for the Prince of Peace, also known as the Sar Shalom. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9 6, the Hebrew phrase for Prince of Peace is Sar Shalom. The Sar is the one in charge, it's where Caesar comes from. Captain, the general, the lord, the chief, the boss. Jesus is the boss of peace. True inner peace. Not just circumstantial peace, but true peace for your soul. The only way to have true and lasting shalom in our lives is to know, serve, and trust the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the captain of rest chief of completeness, the Lord of wholeness, the Prince of Peace, the Tsar Shalom, to know Him, to trust Him, is to have it be well with your soul. Isaiah 53, 5, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Our soul will never rest, never know peace, never know wholeness without the substitutional sacrifice of Jesus in our place, without the Prince of Peace ruling our lives. John is able to say without a doubt that it is well with Gaius' soul because he knows that Gaius belongs to Christ, because he knows what Gaius has in Jesus. Rest for his soul. Faith in his God that is not fleeting, but is steadfast and enduring. Christian, this is what you have in Christ as well. True peace for your soul. May we truly live out of who we are in Christ. No longer out of the old man. No longer out of our old fleshly ways and thinking and reasoning. No longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and changed in the tide of our lives. If you're feeling that lately, if you're feeling unrest, if you're feeling tossed about, if you're feeling unsettled, See that you're missing the joy that it is to have your feet on the rock that is Christ. You are allowing the old man to have a voice again. To have reasoning. And in that you're putting away faith that trusts God. And you're putting on worry, anxiety, self-mindedness, anger, disunity. Pray, Christian, that you would reorient to Jesus alone and experience true shalom. John is able to speak so confidently about Gaius' soul being good and well because of the fruit 
of Gaius's life, the fruit of the Spirit that was evident in him and through him because of his testimony. How does John know that? Because he was getting active reports. Look with me at verse 3 through 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I just want to ask you simply, if others who know you well were to report to me or to someone else how you're doing, is there a report that you are walking in the truth? Or that you're floundering or struggling in something else? John reports that he's heard from brothers in Christ about the testimony of Gaius walking in the truth. It's a great reminder to us that we all have a testimony. You have a testimony, and it's at work more often than you want to admit it is. The world around you, your blood family, your blood-bought family, are watching you. And are witnessing how you live, how you prioritize your days, how you handle adversity and temptation and success. We all would do well to slow and realize that everything we do is not just about getting through the day or the week or the year, but is testifying to those around us. See, we can. We can kind of like find a pocket. Not oh, just me and my family. We're, we're just going to do our thing. I'm just, I'm just going to put my head down and be a good man, be a good woman. I'm just going to do these things. That's all the heathens have. Christian, why are you content with that? No, no, no. The Lord has given you an assignment for your days that's about your testimony. We don't get to just tuck in and keep our head down. Do our No, no. We are to be aware of the fact that the Lord's given me today for testimony. So how are you testifying? Your testimony matters, Christian, because you've gone on record as belonging to Jesus. Public display of your baptism, profession of your faith, representing Him, modeling what it means to know Him and to be empowered by Him. Walking in the truth is an essential testimony of a Christian. You cannot profess to believe in Jesus, belong to Jesus, love Jesus, but then have no evidence of transformed life by Jesus. To have no lasting fruit. No testimony of obedience to Him as Lord. Jesus said very plainly, it's sobering, but hear it. Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
John was also serious about this in his first letter, 1 John 1, 6-7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's obedience to his commands, and there's an ongoing accountability to the body. Do you see that? That's another part of the testimony. You're not saying, hey, I'm just going to be a Christian, and we're going to tuck in over here and figure out our own. No, no. We are to be accountable, to have true fellowship with one another. That is a huge part of our testimony, as we covered last week. Paul spoke on this in Ephesians 5, 8-11. For at one time you were darkness, but now are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 7, 17-20. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Christian, I ask again, what is your testimony? If we belong to Christ, if we are grafted into the vine, then we can also not be given to darkness. We're to avoid it. We're to move away from it. We're to take no part in it. Instead, we are to walk in the truth, walk in the light, to obey God. And the fruit of the Spirit will bear itself in our lives. To not lie, but to do what is true. If we belong to God, we will tell the truth about God and who He is and what Christ has done. And others will see that in our lives, in our testimony. And so I just want to ask you for a little self-inventory this morning. Make it practical. In what ways are you potentially guilty of not walking in the truth as of late? Living out of the old man. Walking in the lies of the flesh and the deception of the enemy. In what ways are you straight out rejecting God? His word. Those who he has put over you to lead you. To reject them. To push them away. In what ways are you practicing sin? Are you staying upset? Are you not forgiving one another? Are you, are you looking to something in your circumstances or creation to satisfy you instead of the Lord? These are things we must do business with. We need to confess them, address them, turn from them in the power of Christ and for the glory of Christ. And can I just say again, church, beloved, don't go at this alone. God has blessed you with the church to walk with, shepherds to help oversee your soul. One of the greatest ways you remain deceived and stuck in the darkness is to keep to yourself. Please heed that warning because you're given it again and again and again. No, invite trusted blood-bought family who will love you enough to speak truth in your life and help you. Those of you who are visiting, the charge for you is commit to getting plugged in 
to the local church truly, finally, lastingly, there are good reasons to leave a church. There's also a lot of really poor ones. You find a good, healthy, biblical church outside of God providentially moving us or doing something pretty major, there's not a good, lot of good reasons just to bounce. We should be committed. We should be raising generations together. Let's do that. Let's be known. Let's, let's be discipled. Let's be matured for the testimony in the days the Lord gives us to fulfill His commission. Deuteronomy 8.6 You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. Psalm 1, 1 through 1-2 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here's the thing John's driving home here in verse 3-4. through As he celebrates the testimony of Gaius, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Church, we are to testify, to work, to live, to eat, to breathe the gospel, the truth of God. To live out, to talk out, to model what God has done and is doing through us. The light He's shown in our lives should illuminate out of us. And understand, it's not Him and then you. It's Him at work in and through you. He's the truth. And because we now belong to Him, the truth is in us and is at work in us. That this same celebration of our walking in the truth would be a waste people are speaking about us by the grace of God and for the glory of God. I encourage you to remember you're not alone, for God is with you. Listen to his words and to his old covenant people, Isaiah 42, 6-8. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant people for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The good news is God has covenanted with us. His new covenant. And He's commissioned us to be a light to the world around us in the same way. Matthew 5, 14-16 You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. That's the testimony. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is to be our testimony, church, to walk in the truth. This is the evidence, the testimony of those who know God and walk in the truth of God. This is what God will use to point many others to the light and save our brothers and sisters who are His elect, who will be part of His forever kingdom. And they too will give glory to God. Amen?
as a pastor, an elder, an overseer of this flock, I agree with John when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. May it be so for all of us. Pray with me. God, you are so good. And we, we celebrate you. For we have nothing without you. We, we have no hope for forgiveness, for transformation. Oh, what a mercy and a grace you have done in our lives. What love you have shown. Lord, help us to show that mercy and love to others, knowing that you are at work in so many, and so many are on many different paths and many different places in their journey. Keep us from self-righteousness and keep us from licentiousness, that we would walk in the truth, that we would pray, as John modeled for us in this opening text, for each other well, that it would go well, that we'd be in good health, I thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in us to give us inner shalom, that in Christ it truly is well with our soul. And no matter what we might face in the hour or days to come, the most tragic of news, we would stand fast on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And our faith would abound, and many would be saved, and you would be glorified. We rejoice in you, our God, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.